Greet each one in Jesus' name this morning. It is a pleasure and a blessing to be here with you again. Um, for our visitors, as Leroy mentioned, uh, my wife and I, we are currently serving in Kenya, Africa, and are back for a few weeks of furlough. <clears throat> so I bring you greetings from the church at Lala there in Kenya. Um, it is good to be home again and to spend time with family and friends and reconnect and uh, renew old acquaintances. For a message this morning, something I've been thinking about over the last several months already um, was this thing of following Jesus and what it means. It could also be called discipleship. But what does it mean to follow someone or something? To follow is to come after, such as to follow a guide, someone that's guiding you, to engage in as a calling or way of life, to be or act in accordance with, such as following directions. It also means to accept as authority, to obey, or like to follow your conscience. <clears throat> but what does it mean to follow Jesus? More than ten times in the Gospels, Jesus gives the command to those that were with him, follow me. And I think the same command is for us here today. We are to follow Jesus. So what was he saying when he's saying, follow me? Does it mean to walk along behind me? Does it mean to do what I do? What is he saying? You can turn to John chapter 12. I think when Jesus said, follow me, he meant, come after me, watch how I walk, watch how I talk, watch what I do, walk close enough with me that you can see clearly what I'm doing. As Ray Vanderlaan would have said, um, walk close enough behind me that the dust that I kick up from my sandals settles on you. In John 12 here, I'll be breaking in in verse 20. But this is just after um, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Then he had what we call the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And we begin in verse 20, and I'll read up to verse 26. John chapter 12, verse 20 through 26. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. 
If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. As I was reading this passage, uh, it's kind of an interesting exchange here. Uh, We have these Greeks that are wanting to see Jesus, to meet Jesus. They want to know who he is. Obviously, they knew about him and knew who his disciples were. They came to Philip and um, asked him if he could show them the way to Jesus. It doesn't specify, but I'm assuming they were with Andrew and Philip when they came to Jesus. And so here are these Greeks that were wanting to see Jesus. Who were the Greeks? They were, the Greeks were a very religious people as a whole. Um, They had many gods. They believed there were many gods. They also were, um, what would you say, fixated with the human body. Uh, All of their gods were in the form of a human being, and they had many of them. Uh, one One of the ways you can tell that is visiting ancient Greece. There's ruins of all of their coliseums, their big public baths. Um, It was a very immoral place. They were also very interested in philosophy and studying things and figuring things out, knowing things. To be a Greek was to know. That was your drive. What made them tick was to know. They wanted to know things. For the Jew... The driving goal was to know, but not only know, but to become as your rabbi, your teacher. That was the reason for a rabbi and his disciples. They were to follow him, which is what Jesus told his disciples when he called them, follow me and learn of me. They were also the Jews twice a day, at least twice a day, would recite what is known as the Shema, which is the Greek, I'm sorry, Hebrew word, which means hear. And we we find that in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 10, I'll just read verses 4 through 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. So, here we have these Greeks that are in their culture, serving these many gods. And the Jews, it is one God and one alone. And they've come to Jesus to see who he is, to find out who he is, to learn of him. It says they had come to Jerusalem to worship at the feast. The Passover feast was about to take place here. And so... They come and they're asking, you know, that we want to see Jesus. So they, they come to Jesus. And what, what does he tell them? He says in verse 23, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come 
that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth or despiseth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. What a way to explain who you are or to to introduce yourself. There's yeah, no introduction, formal introduction recorded. They come, they want to know who he is, and he right away says kind of strange things about corn of wheat falling into the ground and dying, and, and you need to lose your life if you want to find it or to keep it. How often have, have we ministered in this way, with this approach or this technique? You know, so often, I think these Greeks, they wanted to know the truth. They'd come to Jesus for that. But often in our evangelism, we tend to, um, well, we want it to be attractive. So, so we, we talk about the reward. We talk about heaven. If you want to go to heaven, you have to repent. Well, that's true. You could say we um, offer the dessert before mentioning what the main course really is. Um, as Nathan mentioned this morning, life being as a rose, certainly, there is the, the reward, the beautiful part of it. But there is also the very real um, part of hardship as well at times. And that is where Jesus started. He didn't say... If you want to serve God, you should convert to Judaism. Then you can become part of the people of God. He didn't say, if you accept me as your Lord and Savior, you can go to heaven when you die. He didn't tell him that, necessarily. He was clear, Jesus was always clear, on what the true cost of discipleship is. And I think we do well to do the same. In verse 26, he says, if any man serve me, let him follow me. Serving Jesus, serving God, means following Jesus. So often, people try to separate them, which is why we call it nominal Christianity. They name the name of Christ. They, they profess. Uh, that's one thing that is really... A challenge in Kenya is people there are very religious and yeah they all love Jesus they all love God and okay well praise the Lord but where's the walk it's difficult but here Jesus clearly says if any man serve me if he's going to serve me he's going to be following me it's impossible to serve God without following Jesus Continuing in verse 26, And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. This is another interesting statement. He doesn't say, where my servant is, there I am. He says, where I am, there my servant is. Now, the two are a bit, you can maybe reverse it, but I think it's interesting the order he gives it. Jesus is saying, the place where I am, when you find me, that's where 
my servant is going to go. That's where he's going to be. My servant and I, we are found in the same places. If Jesus isn't there, wherever this is, then his servant should also not be there. This is helpful for me and for us um, if we face temptations. We can ask, um, I'm not sure, was it in the 70s when the, the popular thing was WWJD? What would Jesus do? That's a good question. But knowing how saturated the culture around us is with visual appeal, they appeal to our eyes. A lot of, yeah, visual, it's video. Everything is on a video. You can find a video about anything, and I guess I would switch that a bit to WWJV. What would Jesus view or watch? It's a good question to ask. So maybe you're tempted to go to a certain place or to, to watch a certain something. You can ask this question. Is Jesus there? Would he be found here? Would he be here in the flesh? Would we find Jesus there? Or would he be watching this? If the answer is no, it's also no for us. If we are serving Jesus, because we are going to follow him. Can you really follow someone without being close to them? <laughs> that becomes a challenge anywhere, but especially so in the chaotic traffic in Kenya. If someone's not sure where they're going and you know, so they're to follow you. Unless you, yeah, remember you're being a leader, you'll lose them in a hurry. And so, well, they can't follow you. I mean, they're following, but they have no clue where you went. To really follow someone is to stay closely with them. Jesus, following Jesus, it is never his fault if he seems far away. There's a bit of a humorous little story about an older couple that was driving down the road and they caught up with this other vehicle and um, the wife, the older lady, she noticed that it must be a young couple because evidently they had a bench seat and the, the wife or the lady in the vehicle was sitting in the middle over against the driver. So she looked at her husband. She said, you remember when we used to do that? Like, we should, we should still do that. And he said, well, I didn't move. <laughs> the, and I guess the same is true for us. If God seems far away, he's still where he always was. It's not his fault. It was us. We have stopped following, or at least as closely as we should. Is it possible to follow someone if you're looking elsewhere? Or even following something or someone else? John 15 talks about the vine, how Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. There's a connection there. Serving Jesus, following Jesus, speaks of a connection. The other thing with following is, for example, directions. So you're trying to assemble something or fix something. You look at the directions. 
And the reason for that is because you assume they are true. You trust that the truth is there, that the right direction it will be found there. Following speaks of trust, trusting the person we are following. So the question comes to us, where is Jesus today? He's not here in a physical body to be followed as the disciples could. Where is Jesus? In Matthew 18, verse 20, Jesus said, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Ephesians, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. Paul here is talking about how Jesus, what Jesus did for us and how because of what he has done, he has been exalted. He has been honored, given all of these glorious things we'll see here, uh, beginning in verse 15 to the end in Ephesians 1. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks of you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glory, I'm sorry, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Where is Jesus today? He is in his church, his body. That is where the fullness of Jesus is found. <clears throat> you cannot experience or even expect to experience the fullness of Jesus, of knowing him outside of the church of Jesus Christ. The spirit of wisdom mentioned here, understanding being enlightened, the riches of his glory, the exceeding power, I'm sorry, exceeding greatness of his power, to us that believe these things are not experienced anywhere but in the church of Jesus Christ. So Jesus said, where I am, there also will my servant be. I find it difficult to understand how some people arrive at the conclusion that you can be a Christian and continue faithfully without being a part of a local body 
<coughs> it's clear to us here, at least to me, um, where I am, there also shall my servant be. So Jesus is here today, this morning, with us, I believe, through his Spirit's presence. He is through in his church throughout the world. I um, appreciate what you shared, Nathan, in your devotional. And um, yeah, it doesn't matter where you go in the world, whether you're here or in Kenya or anywhere. It's still the same God, and we all still have that same need. Jesus is no longer here on earth as a man, but when he was, what did he do? He said to follow me. So what does that really look like? He served others. He surrendered himself to his Father's will. Today he is in heaven. We like to talk about that, and that's good. But what happened before he went to heaven? It, I think it's very important that we remember not only the reward that is waiting for those that are faithful, because um, as we'll see as we look further in John 12 here, um, that is the final, the final, could you say, the culmination of being where Jesus is, or following Jesus, and that is to follow him to heaven. But before reaching heaven, after he had come here to minister on earth, he went to the cross, he suffered rejection, he died. In the garden, he gave up his will for his Father's will. That's also following Jesus. So if we're going to follow Jesus... That means we also will do the same. We will give up our will for the will of our Father in heaven. We'll be willing to die to ourselves, as he told the Greeks here. If you're going to try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you're willing to lose it for the sake of Christ, you will find it. Following Jesus means that we will be following him closely all the time. Not only when it's convenient, or when it's comfortable, or when it feels good, but also in the painful, difficult times of life. You can turn again to John 12, we'll pick up in verse 35. John 12:35. Then Jesus said to them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk. While you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have the light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed, and did not hide himself from them. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. That the saying of Esaias the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah saith again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah, when he saw his glory and spake of him. Following Jesus means walking in the light. Here Jesus says, 
The light is with you for a little while yet. Walk in that light. Because the time is coming when I'm not going to be here. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may be called the children of light. So that's another benefit, a result of following Jesus is being in his light. Verse 37 is, is, yeah, it's a very sad verse. But though he'd done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. They weren't following him. They didn't believe him. In verse 42, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. Well, that sounds encouraging. But we continue, it says, But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So we can be judgmental. We can say, wow, they really missed it. And they did. But am I doing any better? Am I ashamed? Are you ashamed? to speak openly of your faith in Jesus Christ? Are you ashamed to be called a follower of Jesus Christ? And I guess, first of all, are you following Jesus Christ? They love the praise of men more than the praise of God. I appreciated the scripture that Leroy read to us of the judgment and how there were those that thought they had done many good things. And it turned out they had done them for the wrong reason. These are sad words to us. And I believe Jesus knew of their unbelief because he continues in verse 44. Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me seeth him that sent me. So rejecting Jesus means rejecting God, his Father, that had sent him. If you reject me, you reject the one who sent me. So to follow is faith. Faith is action. The action is to follow Jesus. Turn to John chapter 6. As we think of following Jesus, we know that he had his core group of 12 disciples with him. Judas was one of the 12. He Betrayed him eventually. John chapter 6, verse 66 says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then Jesus said unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, that Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, 
Have I not chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. Following Jesus had given the disciples faith. It had strengthened their faith in him. Uh, evidently, they trusted him to even begin walking with him, following him. But to continue to follow grows our faith. And here Jesus is asking the twelve, are you also going to go away? Now, I understand that Shade Mountain is not the only church. But I also know that, you know, over the years, there have been many that have come here, been here with us, and have left. The same is true in most of the churches in Kenya. It's probably true throughout the world. And so understand me when I say this, but I also ask us this morning, are we also going to go away to stop following Jesus? I'm just blessed by Peter's response where he says in verse 68, to whom shall we go? Or in other words, is there any other option? You have the words of eternal life. Without following Jesus, there's no word of eternal life. Also, he says in verse 69, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Their following Jesus had convinced them thoroughly that he was who he said he was. And that it will do the same for us. They had seen his example. They had heard his words. And he recognized that if we stop following you, we've lost out. We're not going to have the word of life with us anymore. Not following Jesus shows unbelief. Philippians chapter 3. You can turn there. Philippians 3, beginning in verse 4. This is Paul giving his... Um, record of himself, or sometimes I've heard it called his pedigree, his, his credentials. And if there was anyone, as he says here, if there was anyone that, was, that had it all together outside of Christ, it was probably him. Beginning in verse 4, Philippians 3, verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, sorry, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So he had... None of us can call ourselves blameless. I can't. But he says, you know, according to the old law, he was blameless. He was very zealous. He was engaged very heavily 
in what he thought was the right thing to be doing. Yet, he goes on in verse 7, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. All of these accomplishments that he had accomplished, were now nothing to him. When compared to this true saving faith of really following Jesus, they were nothing. He continues in verse 9, And we found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You, you hear the, the fervency, the urgency in his words. He's pressing toward the mark. His goal was to be a follower of Jesus. As he mentions in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If you remember the beginning of the message, I talked about how Jesus told these Greeks that if they want to follow him, they're going to have to die to self, just as he was planning to do physically. And here Paul is saying, in order to be able to attain this resurrection from the dead, I want to know the power of his resurrection, and that is through the fellowship of his sufferings, to be willing to suffer for Jesus. He continues, in verse 15, let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything, I'm sorry, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Following Jesus brings unity. Verse 17, brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies, I'm sorry, they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. 
Many walk, he says. I'm assuming he meant with you. Many walk. They say they're walking with us today. He calls them the enemies of the cross of Christ. He doesn't explain it this way, but I take it to be those that are saying they are following, but are not really following Jesus. And the two are inseparable. You cannot, you cannot be a, a servant, a child of God, without following Jesus. In Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus is saying that not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Many walk, but they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. I find it interesting in verse 19 there, he says, who mind earthly things. It's the things of this world that, that drag us away from God and away from following Jesus. Continuing in, in uh, Philippians chapter 3 here in verse 20, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we took, I'm sorry, we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So this is the final result of following Jesus, not only in this life, but we will follow him into heaven who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. A changed, new, glorious, eternal body together in heaven with Jesus. So what does it mean to follow? The other definition given in the dictionary is to to pursue with intent of overtaking. And I think that's what Paul had. He, he was pursuing Jesus, pursuing a life that exemplified Jesus to others. And that's my encouragement for us this morning. In closing, I'd like to read the words of the song, Follow the Path of Jesus. I think it's number 585 in your books if you wish to read them with me. But as I was preparing the message, I was this song came to me, and um, yeah, I hadn't read it or sung it for some time, and uh, it was good for me to read it again and just to think about what all is said here. And it probably would have been sufficient to just read this song and for me to sit down again. Um, there's a lot here. It says, follow the path of Jesus. Walk where his footsteps lead. Keep in his beaming presence every counsel heed. 
Watch while the hours are flying, ready some good to do. Quick while his voice is calling, yield obedience true. Cling to the hand of Jesus all through the day and night, dark though the way and dreary. He will guide you right. Live for the good of others, helpless, oppressed, and wrong. Lift them from depths of sorrow. In his strength, be strong. Take up the cross of Jesus, sharing the shame he bore, self and the world denying, love the Savior more. Tell all the world of Jesus, think of their gloom and loss. Tell of his great salvation, glory in his cross. There's a lot there. If you consider the first word of the three verses, it begins with follow, cling, and then take up the cross of Jesus. Let's kneel for prayer.